0: So, um, you know, scientists and physicists, they like to ask questions like, why is there something rather than nothing? You know this question, right? You've heard this question, why is there something rather than nothing? Um, Of course, as a Bible believer, we know the answer to that question. Um, Stephen Hawking actually wrote a book called The Grand Design. Some of you may be familiar with it. He says this, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. So what do you think? I know the guy was brilliant. (laughs) There's there's some huge, there's some gaping huge problems with that statement, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's illogical. It's irrational. I love John Lennox. He's a famous mathematician over at Oxford in England, and he critiqued um, Hawking's book. Basically, what Lennox says is nonsense, nonsense is nonsense, even if it's spoken by world-class physicists. So we understand, I think, everyone in here, I hope, understands the fact that there's no such thing as an effect without an adequate cause. So Hawking is talking Nonsense. So why everything? Why bumblebees and badgers and Jim Albright and mountains and supernovas and waves and two trillion galaxies? Why? We know, don't we? For the glory of God. He does it because He can. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. You know, there's some heretical... Sunday school lessons out there, and I think I was taught maybe one or two of them as a young man that God was lonely, so He created. Well, this is absolutely wrong. God has never been lonely. He's completely full in and of Himself in the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. God does not need to create. God simply does create out of His fullness. It's one of Piper's... Well, yeah, it's, it's the quote that got me hooked on John Piper. I'll share it with you. Uh, one of my favorite ones. American preacher, John Piper. He says, "...all of God's creative works are simply the overflow of God's infinite exuberance for His own excellence." I have always loved that quote. I remember reading that quote for the first time and I realized this is really who God is. It expanded my view of the beauty and greatness, and power, and joy, and exuberance of God. If you don't see God this way, you don't know the biblical God. If you've got God in a little box and you think you can manage Him and you, um, you know, use Him for your own purposes, you, don't, you haven't met Jehovah. God's creative works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence yes this is a fallen planet we've we've, we always mention it. it is a fallen judged condemned I like how John MacArthur says it disposable planet you know all these guys that worship the planet well I hate to break it to them but the planet is got a short lifespan God's gonna God's going to destroy the planet he's told us this clearly it's reserved for fire God will destroy this one. He'll bring in a new heaven and a new earth. So, this is a judged planet, but we still, as I mentioned last week, there are echoes of the greatness of what paradise was. So if your eyes are open and your brain is firing, you understand that God is here. We, we talked a lot about it last week. The sky, is, the sky is preaching. The watermelon is preaching. The raspberry is preaching. The raspberry is preaching. Your consciousness is preaching. I was sharing with a young man this week, you know, if you actually have one thought, if you have one thought, you just proved God. If you have one thought, one conscious thought, you just proved God. Because conscious mind does not, it it does not spurt out of materialism and naturalism. There has to be a mind there or you wouldn't have one. If you have one conscious thought, you just proved God. So if you've just proved God, You've just proved God, what are the implications of that for you? Are you going to live like the rest of the world? Is it all about you know, having the great job and the great family and the great career and hoarding up a bunch of money and having a good retirement and taking great vacations? Is this, is this all life is? I think we all know deep in our hearts that this is not all that life is, as noted last week, Romans 1: 121. God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Psalm 19, 1 and 2, we saw it last week. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Day to day pours forth speech. As I said last week, it's a gusher, man. God's evidence to you, His witness to you is a gusher. It is a gusher. By the way, we're going to be in Psalm 97 if you want to turn over. I'll be there in just a minute. Psalm 97 is where we'll be tonight. Yeah, Hawking was brilliant, but uh, he refused to see what is clearly seen. Why anything? Why everything? For the glory of God. And God pursues His glory at every turn, which means He's pursuing what? Does anybody know this? When God's pursuing His glory, what else is He pursuing? Our joy. Because the believer's joy is the glory of God. Obviously, there are 10,000 subordinate joys. But the believer's ultimate joy, a joy that will last a billion eternities, is the glory of God. I was thinking, the reason I read Psalm 147 to you to begin the service, David says, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And His greatness... Anybody remember? His greatness is what? Easily quantifiable. Right? No. No man, no team of men, no group of nations with all the computing power known to you know, humanity can quantify the greatness of God. Now, this is why I don't understand many people who call themselves Christians and they live it like it really doesn't matter on a day-to-day basis. When I get up in the morning, it really doesn't matter. I don't even think about it. I don't really think about God. Well, I'm going to go back to what I said to you earlier. If you have a thought, if you have one thought in your head, it's God. You've just proved God. So how does that change how you live? Or does it at all? Does it impact the way you live at all? We're going to see in Psalm 97 that obviously it should. You guys know, we talked a whole lot about this last, last year. Romans 11.22 Behold what? The kindness and severity of God. All the way through the Bible, God says, Behold My greatness! Why? Why does God want us to behold His greatness? Because we are completed in our worship of God. It completes the human soul, right? To enter into fellowship with the living God. It completes the human soul. And also, (laughs) to behold His greatness is to be free. To be one of His people. Not just a churchgoer, but somebody who goes in the world and lives it huge for His glory. Let me tell you something. If you practice beholding the greatness of God, (laughs) you won't live a superficial life. You won't. You can't. If you're looking at God, you can't live a superficial life. You You can't live on feelings like everybody else. You can't live on worldly norms like... Everybody else, if you're beholding the biblical God, you will know that your life matters, and your life will ripple eternity. The literal Hebrew in Psalm 145:3 is, "And His greatness, and of His greatness, there is no searching out." I've told you a hundred, thousand times. This is the adventure of, of eternity, discovering, knowing, comprehending our infinite God, which obviously is an adventure that never ends. We never get to the end of who He is. So I'm still in the Psalms. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of the Psalms, I think, pretty soon. But once I get, them, I, I, once I get into the Psalms, it's, it's really, really hard for me to get out because I just find myself worshiping, right? And uh, that's what the Psalms are for, to help us behold the kindness and severity of God. Of course. Of course, God wants you to behold His severity. I'm working on a new book, and I just got through with the hell chapter. And I was telling Karen this week, you know, it's a pretty, obviously a pretty strong chapter. And I told Karen this week that in looking at the severity of God, it enables me to truly worship the kindness of God. Because we all understand, if, we, if we're biblically literate, we all understand what we deserve. We know what we deserve. We have sinned against an infinite being. We know what we deserve. We know we should go to hell. We know that if we're biblically literate at all. But we won't go there if we're in Christ. We won't go there. Why? He paid the price. He paid the price. I don't go to hell. I've spent two weeks studying hell. I won't go there because of what He did. Listen, those of you who ignore the doctrine of hell um, or discount it, you're making a grave error. Your, your, Your doctrine is completely insufficient. Your worship will be retarded if you don't understand what Jesus purchased you out of. Don't run from the doctrine. Just read the words of Jesus. (laughs) The chapter in the book is called The Nine Sayings of Jesus. He spoke about hell more than anybody else. It matters, beloved. Psalm 97, verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Let me go to verse 3. Fire goes before Him and burns up His adversaries round about. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. What's He talking about here? What's He talking about here? Our God reigns. (laughs) He's God. He's not just God in name. He's not just El Shaddai in name. He's El Shaddai in reality. Right? He can do what He says. He can keep His promise. He can save His people utterly and totally and completely. He is God Almighty. He has no peer. He has no colleague. He has no equal. Daniel 4.35 God does according to His will in the heavens and the earth. No one can hold back His hand. Psalm 135.6 Whatever the Lord pleases, He does it in heaven and in earth. Psalm 103:19. "The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all." He is not a frustrated deity. You listen to a, you know, a lot of pathetic preachers preach, preach about God, and he sounds like he's pathetic and he can't get his purpose accomplished because you're frustrating it. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. You are not frustrating God. Trust me on that. You are not frustrating God. God will get His purpose done according to His Word, right? You need to know that. You need to worship Him like that. He's not some pathetic wannabe God. He is God. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. He is the only sovereign King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and eternal dominion. You guys know 1 Chronicles 29 11. David writes, "'Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the, yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all.'" Isaiah says it beautifully. "'Who can turn back the outstretched arm of God?' He's not frustrated. If you ever sit in a church and you hear some guy talking about a God who's frustrated, you need to run." This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He has no idea what he is talking about. So why is the earth rejoicing? Why is the earth rejoicing? Why his people have license to rejoice? Our God reigns. You can rejoice. It's the thing thing I tell you all the time, you know? Paul writes that beautiful line, sorrowful but always rejoicing. You, we, we can rejoice in the sorrow because He is who He is. You know, I, we all have problems. You know, I, We all have problems. We all have things that bother us. We all have fears that we have to deal with. This is how I beat them. I go to a Psalm like 97 and I look at God and I realize whatever I'm going through, Whatever I, uh, I'm about to go through, whatever I fear, God is sovereign in it. It's why the peoples are glad, right? The islands. What does it say? The many islands will be glad. The, the peoples, the, the peoples who know Jesus Christ will be glad. Even if we're crying right now, we know one thing's for sure we'll be glad in God. We will be glad in God. He reigns supremely. Over the created order, over life and death, over Satan and demons, and in the lives of men. These are the many islands, the redeemed peoples of God. God's absolute sovereignty is our assurance of eternal life. Okay? No one can take that assurance from us. We studied in the Gospel of John over and over and over and over. Jesus said, I'll not lose one of them one of them that the Father has given me. Secondly, it's our license to live this temporal life huge. We don't have to be afraid. I'm not saying that fear doesn't well up in us. Of course it does. We're human beings. I told Karen the other day, I'm a human being today, man. I feel it. So what do I do when I feel like a human being? When I just feel like a, merely a human being and I know I want to be more, I know I should be more. I'm a son of God. I'm a redeemed son of God. What do I do? I go to Psalm 97 and I rejoice and I'm glad my God is sovereign. Even if the worst happens which it almost never does. You know what I'm talking about. You, 98% of what you worry about never happens. Right? Stop worrying. But when it comes on you, you go to Psalm 97 and be glad because your God reigns. He reigns. You guys know our assurance of salvation. I'm just going to go to Romans 8 very quickly. You guys know all that it says. Uh, first of all, we have two members of the Trinity praying for us. Um, We know that uh, God is working all things for the good of those who love Him. We also know that that, that that great golden chain, it's called in Romans 8, verse 30, we are predestined, called, justified, and glorified. It's over. It's done. In the mind of God, it's done. It can't be broken. I'm His right now, forever. doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. I'm His right now, forever. Beloved, this matters. This is supposed to inform how you live. And if God is for us, we know the great text, who can be against us? This is why the islands are glad. So I'm asking you, are you bringing, are you bringing your worship into the minutiae of your life? Are you glad in the face of tragedy? Are you glad in the face of despair? Are you glad in the face of loss? Can you still be glad? Because you understand your God is sovereign and hey, even if it's hard today, (laughs) He reigns. And He's doing something I simply don't understand. You know what that comes down to, right? It comes down to trust. Which is what? The root of what? Trust is the root of biblical, someone tell me, faith. That's really the bottom line definition of faith. Faith, it's trust. It's not some abstract concept. its tr- I trust God right now, right now. In this moment, I trust God. Right? That's real faith. That's what it looks like. So we have a license, and I, uh, it gives me a chance to <laughs> share one of my favorite verses. Daniel 11.32 The people that do know their God shall be strong and they shall do exploits. We can live huge and be ready to die well because our God reigns. Psalm 99, it it may be on the same page. I don't know if you have it, but verse 1, what does it say? The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. I love this verse. The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. I said it to you last week, man. If you don't know how to tremble before God, you have not met God. He is terrifyingly magnificent and you need to know that. I tell you, I'm writing this book. It's mostly about the wrath of God. Yeah, nobody's gonna, I know nobody's going to buy it. And, maybe, and, and, and I, know that, I know that, hey, I don't write books for people to, to, to buy. I write books because I want to learn about the topic. I know nobody's going to buy the book. And only a handful of people will actually read the book. Rohan has not really approved my, uh, my subtitle, Wrath, Vengeance, Recompense, and Terror. Now that sounds like something you'd want to read, doesn't it? <laughs> Dangerous God, Wrath, Vengeance, Recompense, and Terror. All of those are biblical words. I don't pull these words out of nowhere. The subtitle, all those are biblical words. Even the word terror. Because when God comes in wrath, trust me, it's all over the pages of Scripture. There's terror. He's terrifyingly magnificent, beloved. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross for you. He's taking the wrath, you and I, Deserve. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. Tremble in fear. Assured of judgment. That's for the rebel. And tremble, tremble in awe. Assured of eternal life. That's for the believer. We tremble in awe. Because He's purchased our eternity, right? <laughs> it's a done deal. Praise God. Yeah, kill the body if you wish, but you can't kill the soul. So our God reigns. We rejoice in the fact that our eternal life is secure with Him and we're glad that we're free to live our temporal life unencumbered by fear. I want to share Psalm 18, 11, and 12 with you. Uh, Verse 2a made me think of it. He made darkness His hiding place and His canopy around Him. From the brightness before Him passed His thick clouds. One thing I've learned in studying the manifest presence of God when He appears uh, to men, He hides Himself. What did He tell Moses? What did He tell Moses? You can't what? See Me and what? Live. This is how great your God is. (laughs) He covers Himself. When He he presents Himself to man, of course, Jesus was incarnate in the flesh. Even when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of transfiguration, a cloud came down. God does this he hides himself because his glory would consume mortal man it's important for us to think about this he in, he veils his unsearchable greatness verse 2b there righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne how do we know what god does is right now you know when you study the bible like i have recently about the terror of his judgments in the Old Testament, and he wipes out everybody, right? Every first-born Egyptian child died. In the flood, only eight people survived. Estimates are a hundred thousand to to uh, uh, to no, pardon me, it's, a, it's a quarter of a million to a billion people on the planet. He took them all out. Sodom and Gomorrah, he took them all out. The land of Canaan, when 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 Israel came in, he took them all out. How do we know it's right? How do we know? Because he did it. That's how we know. God cannot do anything but what is right. If you don't have this view of God, you've got a low view of God. <laughs> if God does it, it's right. Oh, if you want to question God, go ahead. You want to critique God, go ahead. Let me tell you what won't happen. The day you see Him, you won't be critiquing Him. Trust me on that one. You'll be on your face like every other man that saw Him. You'll be on your face as fast as possible and you won't have one word to say to the great I Am. Oh, you want to critique God? Your friends want to critique God? I caution you, beloved. This is not wise. So he talks about his righteousness and his justice. (laughs) You guys have heard me say this before. Do you want justice? Who wants justice from God? Nobody wants justice from God. You're a smart group of... See, I always knew you were smart people. Nobody wants justice from God. We know where we go if we get justice. We must have grace. And as one theologian said, all moral accounts will be settled, justly settled, either in hell or on the cross. And so this fire goes before God. Fire is a sign of both his kindness and severity. I've got to tell you this real quick. Uh, in, this, in this research I was doing on, on hell, God's there. Yeah? He's there. He's there. In His fiery veracity, He is there. The greatest fear and terror of the occupant of hell is God in His wrath. Now, I know we don't like to think about this. We don't like to talk much about it. You never hear it preached. But beloved, it magnifies what Jesus Christ has done in our behalf. I have a section in the book called The Indispensable Doctrine. I know nobody likes it. I know... Almost no preachers preach it anymore. But God means for you to understand what Jesus paid for you. He means for you to understand He's holy. He means for you to understand He hates your sin. He means for you to know it. You just read the accounts of judgment in the Old Testament? Man, you just get humble real fast. You get humble real fast. You stop taking God for granted real fast. You stop taking the cross for granted real fast. If you get some sense... Of how much God hates it, and what He has said He will do to those who are in rebellion against Him. So, His fire is both a sign of kindness and severity. Parenthetically, it made me think of the uh, the, the fire of God. It made me think of the guys on the road to Emmaus. Right? You remember they were talking to Jesus, and then He was gone. And remember what he remember remember what they said about about how Jesus opened up the Scripture for them and their, what, what happened? Their what? Their hearts were on fire. <laughs> this, is one reason, this is one way to know you're in relationship with God. The Word of God sets your heart on fire. Right? <laughs> it just does. And if you have to tremble, you tremble. Because we all need to tremble. It'll do us some good. Verse 4, His lightnings, lit up the world, the earth saw and trembled, the mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare His righteousness and all the peoples have seen His glory. So there are two parallel truths here. Obviously, lightning. Any of you been close to a lightning strike before? I have. I was an idiot. Many of you know this already. I was playing golf in high school and, and there were four of us and we were putting out on the last green and it didn't strike, didn't strike. It didn't come all the way to the ground, but it was right above us and it knocked all four of us to the ground. So I, I get what he's saying here. The, the power of, of these physical lightnings. Many theologians believe that part of what is being said here is the incarnation of Christ. Now, yeah, you have to really stretch to pull it, but God has come. God has come in the flesh. He has lit up the world and the earth trembles. God is in a manger. Verse 5, another picture of God's unsearchable greatness. Here in verse 5, the mountains melt like wax. Now, we've been talking a lot about this I won't belabor it, <laughs> right? Two trillion galaxies. Mountains are nothing to God, right? Uh, he, yeah, he creates Uy Scuti, which is 1,700 times uh, larger than our sun, I mean, plus the two trillion galaxies in the cosmos. So, th- I mean, th- the mountain is nothing to God. They melt like wax before God. This is just a uh, beautiful, poetic language about his power and. His greatness. I love what Habakkuk says, Habakkuk 3.4, the cosmos is the hiding of God's power. Two trillion galaxies, you haven't seen anything. You think, wow, what a lot of power. What I want to say to you is you haven't seen anything. The cosmos is the hiding of God's power. And then, let me get this straight, you say you know Him and you're afraid? I'm not saying fear doesn't well up. It wells up in me. It welled up in me this week. And I get so angry at myself. Why am I still dealing with this? Why am I still dealing with this? And I cry out to God, I don't want to deal with this anymore because I do trust you. What do I have to do? I have to preach to myself. How do I preach to myself? I go to the Bible and I read Psalm 97, and I read about my God before whom mountains melt like wax. This gets me in a really good place. (laughs) Okay? This gets me in a really good place. You know, you can say to Satan, do your worst! Do your worst! My God's God. My God speaks galaxies into existence. Verse 6, The heavens declare His righteousness and all the peoples have seen His glory. Again, by the created order, we know that God is there. We mentioned it last week. Romans 1.19 Men suppress the truth. They hold it down in unrighteousness. But we've seen it. We've heard it. We have His testimony in the Word. Verses 7-9 through Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship Him, all you gods. That's lowercase g, gods. Could be, could be interpreted angels. Zion heard this and was glad. And the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of Your judgments, O Lord. For You are the Lord Most High over all the earth. You are exalted far above all Gods. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 7 in the Message Bible. He says, All who serve handcrafted gods or ragamuffin gods will be sorry, right? They will be sorry. When they see Jehovah God, when they see, uh, you know, the, the reigning Christ on his throne, of course they'll be sorry. They had a joke, God. Yeah, they will be sorry. So he's talking about idolatry here. And I know you're sophisticated. You don't bow down to a piece of wood. You don't bow down to a piece of ivory. But I know there's probably more than one of you in here that has an idol that you need to deal with today. You have an idol. You love something more than Jesus Christ. If you love something more, desire something more, treasure something more, want something more than Jesus Christ, you have an idol this is the biblical definition, New Testament biblical definition of an idol. You have a ragamuffin God who will never fill your soul. Whatever it is, it will never fill your soul. You can chase it for the rest of your life. You can actually apprehend it and you will die miserable and empty. I told some guys the other night, I would trade places with anybody else in the world. Why is that true? Because I have the world's riches? Certainly not. Because I have have that which matters. (laughs) I have Jesus Christ in my life. So, worship Him, all you gods. Again, the angels, the angelic beings. Verse 8, The people of God are glad and rejoice at His righteous judgments. Um, you know, there's this aspect of, of God's judgment that we rejoice in. I, I, I learned this week. Of course, I knew it, but I, it didn't impact me. You guys know stuff in the Bible that you've known it all your life and suddenly it impacts you. Uh, I was listening to John MacArthur preach about um, the saints under the altar in heaven. What are they praying for? Someone tell me. Anybody know what the saints under the altar in heaven are praying for? Vengeance. The saints in heaven are praying for vengeance. When, O Lord, will you take vengeance on those who have martyred us? When, O Lord, will your justice reign? When, O Lord, will your wrath be poured out? Beloved, God is not shy about the fact that He hates sin and He will judge it. He's not shy about it. I know most preachers are shy to talk about it. Because you don't want to hear it. Many people don't want to hear it. But you know what? I'd rather go sell used cars, or clean pools, or sweep floors, than stand up here and bring God down in your eyes. Because I'm gonna—you know—your blood will be on my hands, and I'll have to talk to God about it. So my my goal is to preach the very best I can with integrity of what the Bible has to say. Verse 9, the psalmist breaks into doxology and in worship. I love Peterson's paraphrase. You, God, are high God of the cosmos. Far, far higher than any other so-called God. You guys know Psalm 24. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The God of angel." Armies, verses ten and eleven. He says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the soul of his godly ones, he delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown like seed for the righteous, and gladness for the upright in heart. We do hate evil, don't we? It's like those it's like those martyrs under the altar in heaven. You know, you know, people sometimes say, well, you're, you're, Christians are haters, right? You see this a lot with the homosexual community. They call us haters. Um, at least that's where I get it a lot. I'm not a hater of the homosexual. What is it I hate? I hate the lie. I hate the lie. And I hate that the culture embraces the lie. The, the culture promotes the lie. I hate this. Because I love the righteousness of God. Not because Jim Albright is so... Holy? No, I'm not. But I love the righteousness of God and God has clearly spoken. We're not haters. Actually, if we speak the truth, we're the only one in this public square telling the truth. The only one telling the truth. And the world hates the truth. John chapter 3. But we know what Jesus has said to us. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see the good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the balance of verse 10 and 11 take us back to verse 1. The psalmist is proclaiming the sovereignty of God and he's calling his people to rejoice, right? The sovereignty of God. The title of the sermon is sovereignty and gladness, right? So, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Verse 10 and 11. He preserves our souls. This is our eternal assurance. He delivers us. Verse 10. He delivers us. You guys remember Luke 21 18? Jesus said, Some of you will be put to death and you will be hated on my account, but not a hair of your head will perish. What's he saying? He's saying, They can kill the body, man, you're mine. Your soul is mine. <laughs> and to live is Christ. To die is gain. The, die, the day you die will be the best day you've ever lived. Right? And it's the best day you've ever lived that will cascade into a billion eternities of the best day you've ever lived. I'm always astonished at how small Christianity is to most people who claim to be, that, to, who claim to be Christians. It's just, it's just breathtakingly astonishing to me. So, notice what else God says in verse 11. He enlightens us. He told us in John 8, I'm the light of the world, right? And He enlivens us. He gives us the joy and gladness that belongs only to God. As Francis Chan says, something is wrong with you if your life makes sense to an unbeliever. Something is wrong with you. You claim to be a Christian, but your life makes perfect sense to an unbeliever. Yeah, that's, uh, that's obviously an oxymoron. Obviously an oxymoron. So, it's why there's something rather than nothing. Because God is awesome. God is awesome. <laughs> and He is our joy for the glory of God and the joy of His people. So I'll just close with verse 12. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to His holy name. And why are we glad? He's sovereign. Our eternal security is a done deal. And we can live the faith that He's called us to live because He reigns. So listen, next time you have a hard day, Um, You can always go to Psalm 97 (laughs) and reclaim your gladness, right? Reclaim it. Believe God. Trust God. Paul said it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this text. Thank You for what it means to me personally. I hope it's helpful and meaningful to all who are here. We can rejoice and be glad because You are the God who reigns and rules. The God of infinite power and sovereignty. You have no equal. You have no peer. You accomplish all Your good pleasure in heaven and earth. So Lord, we rejoice in that assurance and comfort. Lord, I pray that we would indeed find our joy in You. For You alone are God. And You alone can fill our heart. We pray this in the mighty and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus. So we're going to take a few minutes. If anybody has anything they would like to share about uh, what God has been telling you, saying to you, teaching you, um, no pressure. If anyone has anything they'd like to say, that's fine. And then we will...